Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, can you lift your hands to him right now? Let's thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his greatness and his excellence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. So thankful you're here tonight. Appreciate the goodness of the Lord. And uh, if you miss Sunday night service, a worship service turned into a prayer meeting. And we lingered. We lingered for a season. And then we had a 24-hour prayer chain that began at midnight on Sunday night as our first Monday prayer and then we gathered back on Monday night for our Monday night prayer meeting and I just can't help but feel faith in my spirit that this is going to be a November to remember amen I believe in God's going to move and touch and manifest himself in people's lives amen and he's going to help people get here on Wednesday night Say, I know that's right. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening. Uh, we'll read several verses tonight. I'm told we're having computer trouble or software issues. So just uh, if, if it disappears, trust me tonight. I will probably not read from the Swahili translation. Amen. Glad that you're here. Colton, I'm so thankful to hear you, see you tonight, my friend. Glad you're here. Amen. It was a, a famine. It was a trial. It was a dry season. A dry spell. Anybody ever had a dry spell? It was that season when rain hadn't come. Crops had not been hydrated. But it was a famine that brought it all back together for them. See, before the famine, before that dry season, there was great blessings upon the house of Jacob, the house of Israel. There were sons. There was much joy. As a matter of fact, at that point, Before the famine came, there was 11 boys, 11 sons. Imagine 11 boys in your house. Imagine the pranks. Imagine the laugh. And imagine the dreams that might be taking place there. 11 sons. Imagine 11 kikis. 11 sons. But not only was there the the positive excitement of 11 boys, but before the famine, there was also a home that was filled with division, a place that knew what it was to feel and suffer through heartache. There was discord in that family, much jealousy, much second-guessing, no trust Dysfunction at its best was it was evident there in the house of Jacob, the house of Israel. 
But God used a famine. God used a tremendous season of trial to help bring it all back together. As a matter of fact, it was the famine that caused Joseph and his brothers to come back together. It was a famine that brought a son who had been betrayed and had been gone in exile for nearly a lifetime. It was a famine that brought an estranged son back to the house of his father. It was a famine that paved the way for forgiveness and understanding to come back to that set of boys. It was that dry season. It was that most horrible season of their lives, that restoration came back to the house of Jacob. Not only was it restoration, but favor. And had they not been through that season of famine, they would never, never have lived in the land of Goshen, the very best that Egypt had to offer. And had it not been for a famine, they would have not known what it was to have the favor that provided for them in so many ways. But we understand and know that another season would come to them. But it was that famine that brought that family back together. It was a very bad time. It was a time that was filled with negative circumstances. It was a time that was filled with misunderstanding and distrust that led forgiveness in by the hand. Forgiveness marched into that family in the edge of Egypt that day in the life that was lives that were filled with wounds, lives that were filled with misunderstanding. They came face to face with a forgotten, forsaken, betrayed brother. If it were not for that famine, Joseph and his brothers might never have been reunited. If it wasn't for that famine, that young man might never have been restored to his father. I guess tonight you've probably figured out by now that I'm talking about famines this evening. I'm talking about that season of life that produces misunderstandings. It produces hurt. It produces pain. It's famines, emotional and spiritual famines that break up families, that, that bring deep wounds, that bring deep, deep hurts. And I just want tonight to simply bring you a very, very simple thought, and that is God can use your famine. Romans 8 and 28 reminds us simply this, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God and to them who are called according to 
his purpose. Back to the first of that. And we know that all things work together for good. And we know that all things work together. I wish that my life had only been filled with good things. I wish that there hadn't been seasons of drought and of pain and of hurt and misunderstanding. I wish that I'd always had an extra $20 bill in my pocket. Wouldn't it have been nice to have a 20 when you didn't have anything? Looking, 20 won't get much for you, but when you got nothing, 20 is a lot. As a matter of fact, $20 are going to buy you about a five-pound bag of beans. It'll buy you a bunch of rice, and you can make the kids drink water, and you can have food for a week if you have to. I mean, $20, if you're in a bad way, will go a long, long way. But we know that all things, even famines, storms, heartaches, shipwrecks, all things work together for good. All things. I have referenced this verse and others tonight that I'm sharing with you. But this has been in my mind and my my spirit all day. And I've had a day filled with errands where I would run from one place to the next. And then I would stop and sit and have to wait. And then again rush to the next place where I could stop and, and wait. And all day, all day, I have kept coming back to this thought that God can use these most difficult moments in our life because we know that all things work together. There's some bad things that can work in your life. Amen. There's some sickness that can work in your life. There's heartache that can work in your life. There are disappointments that can bring you to the place where you understand and know if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't be here where I'm at today for all things work together for the good. God, now references maybe too much, but God used the death of our grandchild to bring incredible people into our world who might never have been part of our lives if it hadn't been for that ugly, horrible, heartbreaking disaster. But God allowed that ugly season in our lives to bring new things and new people, new seasons, new joys, new relationships came into our life because of that. It is coming out of that season of brokenness. And I don't have to talk about that and remind you, but many of you were here during that time. And there is no doubt that that we lived for a season in this state of brokenness and grief. We grieved and you grieved during that season. And we couldn't help. It was what was on the inside of us, so that's what poured out of us. But it was during that season of grief that you grieved with us. And that season of brokenness that the Lord began to multiply my wife and I into many other ministers and their wives and their families who found themselves in similar crisis. It was, it was that season. It was that famine. It was that storm. It was that 
hurricane. Uh, Acts uses the term when this, there was a ship out on the water and there was a storm called Eurocladon. That's the big bad boy. That was the horrible storm. And so God has used that. He's used those ugly moments in our lives. And I don't know why necessarily that he had to cause and allow the pain. And, but I do know this. God's taken that season and done something incredible with it. God raised Joseph up. He raised Joseph up. After being despised and not respected and, and hated by his brothers. After being betrayed after being discarded and sold into slavery, after being lied about and thrown into a dungeon and then helping men in that dungeon gain their freedom only for them to forget their promises to him. And he felt forgotten and not only forgotten, but somehow he surely must have felt God forsaken. But God reached down into the pit of a dungeon And found a man who was living in the dark. Found a man who was living in a forgotten moment. A forgotten man. It seems as if man and friends and family had forgotten Joseph. But God had not forgotten Joseph. When you feel God forsaken, please remember, God hadn't forgot where you are. When you feel like nobody cares, remember this. God knows and God cares. And it seems like Joseph being left forgotten and forsaken in the dungeon. But somehow God took that season and took him from being in the darkest part of a dungeon forgotten. And elevated all the way to the palace of the Pharaoh. God takes those seasons and he begins to use us and use those seasons in different ways. And with Joseph, God took him and he began to give him wisdom and understanding. And he was able to understand that there was a famine that was coming. There was a famine coming. And God gave him wisdom of what to do during those seven years of plenty because there was seven-year season of famine. I spoke with a pastor a few days ago. And he was telling me about a season that his church had been through a few years back. And it was a season of, of tremendous blessing. Every, for that entire 10, 15 years, their church, the tide never went out. The tide came in every day. They were blessed. They had grown. Their buildings were full. They paid off their church. They built other buildings. And they had all sort of things and they, every, everything was incredible going and the tide came in and then I talked to him not too long ago he said brother Smith you remember when I told you about those seven years of plenty that we enjoyed he says today we're living in the seven years of famine and he began to explain some things that they were going through but God raised Joseph up and he would he explained to him and helped him understand how to take the seven years of plenty and let it be enough for the seven years of famine. And he placed 
this man in the middle of a dungeon and promoted him to a palace because he wanted to put him in the middle of a famine because God knew what was coming and he imparted into Joseph a plan for keeping an entire nation alive. He had put such so much stuff into to Joseph that when Joseph's brothers and family, when they ran out of food in a far land, they heard that there was grain in Egypt, and they began to make their way from their place of not having enough. They made a journey to Egypt, and when they got there, God provided for them. God not only provided for them, but I find it amazing that God can take wicked, ungodly pharaohs and rulers of this world and can use them to funnel and channel all the help that God's people need. And in this case, Pharaoh sent everyone to Joseph if they needed grain. The answer to the famine was in the man Joseph. So when Joseph's own brothers would come, those that had betrayed him and those that had hurt him, these were the betrayers of Joseph. They had to come with their hats in their hand. And God turned a season that had been so ugly into something very different. This was Joseph. This was the brother that these boys had despised. They hated his fancy coat and his big dreams. The brother that they just couldn't stand. He was a brat. He was, he was haughty. He bragged about his dreams. He bragged about things. He flaunted himself. He flaunted the favor of the coat that his father gave them. And they just could not bring themselves to believe that this youngest lad indeed was, was going to be special. So they threw him away. They sold him. And they all assumed he was dead. Now Joseph, now Joseph in the middle of this famine, was second in command over all of Egypt. And now that brother that was despised is the only one with authority to give them food that they desperately needed to survive. But God used a famine to move that entire set of boys to where they would come face to face with the past. Face to face with their failures. Face to face with the things that they shouldn't have done. And at the same time, God used a famine to move his people to a place where the future generations of the children of Israel would have provision. God used a bad time. God used negative circumstances. God used these things to bring restoration and forgiveness. Tonight, tonight. If you hear me and you've suffered pain, you've felt difficulty in your life and you've gone through dry spells, you don't know which way to turn and you felt alienated and separated and God forsaken and God forsaken and God forgotten, please remember this. God uses these seasons to bring hope. Never, never discount the value of a famine. We don't want it. In our, in our minds, do you realize that there are ten nations in this world that are uh, basically a top ten that are nations that are extremely hungry with famine? 
There are nations in this world that are caught up in poverty. But these same nations that are caught up in poverty, they are some of the richest nations in the world with natural resources. Uh, All through Africa, countries that are in famine, they've got resources and they've they've got diamonds in the dirt and oil in the ground and they've got all these natural resources but yet because of misuse and abuse uh, they suffer through famines they suffer through dry seasons and and let me just simply pause this evening to say there are these dry seasons these dry spells these famines uh, that ought not to be and sometimes our famines are because other people make bad decisions that create bad times in our world they create negative circumstances in your life but it's in the midst of those times when you're just not sure how it's going to turn out or which way to turn or what to do that every way you look looks like another defeat, another loss. Understand something. If you will let God, he will lead you out of the dry spell. As a matter of fact, God will lead you to a place where you feel forgiveness And you offer forgiveness. He'll lead you to a place where that you feel yourself being restored. You feel your faith coming back. And you'll find yourself living in the favor of God. God uses famines. Is it any wonder that that Jeremiah in the 29th chapter would write these words. Of which the first verse has become extremely uh, popular in the in the modern world of Christendom but beyond that is an incredible promise from God Jeremiah 29 11 for I know the thoughts that I think toward you saith the Lord the thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end then shall you call upon me And you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me, you shall find me, when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. I'll give you back your freedom. I will Turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all of the nations, their world that's just torn asunder. I'll bring it back together, and from all the places that I've driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. He said, I'll bring you again to the place you were before the trouble. The place you were before the trouble. Let me tell you something. And maybe I'll be bold enough tonight to speak even. uh, I will claim this is from the Holy Ghost. Sometimes your world gets torn apart. You're living in a dry season. You've been in a famine. You don't know which way to turn. But if you will let God. If you will seek him with your whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 14 says, I will be found of you. If you will seek me, you will find me, saith the Lord. And I will give you your freedom. 
I'll take away the burdens and the chains. And I will gather you from all this place where you've been scattered. And I will bring you again to a place that you lived before you were captive by the famine. Think about it. God uses famines. You see, God promises to restore the years. This is verse. I know I've used it several times lately, but it's just something that's in my spirit. And when I begin thinking in these terms, I have to come back to this one. Joel chapter 2, verse 25. This is two verses, three verses before we get the great prophecy of the coming of the Holy Ghost and the Acts 2 uh, experience and the of the new birth experience. This is three verses before then when the Lord says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, that the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, that my great army that I sent among you, I will restore to you the years. I tonight want to say that God can restore whatever the famine took. He wants to. God, he says here that I will restore to to you the years of the locust and the caterpillar and and the canker worm and the palm. I will restore those things. I will restore. I will restore the years. Have you ever felt like you were just losing time? You ever felt like you were losing years of your life? Have you ever felt that way? I just have lost years of my life. And what would have been, what my life could have been during those seasons, during those years, God said, I will restore to you the years. So I think he'll give you back the time. But also, any peace and joy and blessing and provision that he had intended to come to you those years, but a locust came and a caterpillar came and pestilence came and famine came and you lost years of productivity and years of blessing. He said, I will restore to you the years or what could have been in those years. This is absolutely Powerful to me. Amplified version uses that, that first phrase of that verse and says this. I will restore or replace for you the years. I will put it back. I will put it back. The message translation was well, the message is, is really not a translation. It don't claim to be a translation. The message says that they're a transliteration. It's more of a lumping together and paraphrasing of certain things. But in this verse it said, I will make up for the years. I will make up for. Have you lost years? Have you had a season of dry times? Have you had a season when you had nothing? Sister Linda, I look at your Facebook posts and I see all this little stuff that you're getting in your life. And I know two years ago, you didn't have a thing. You came here without an apartment, without a car, without a money, without a job. But God has began to make up the years in your life. I will make up for the years. NIV said it this way. I will repay you for the years. If that season cost you something, God says, I'll pay you back. I'm here tonight to say God wants to use 
your famine. It was Elijah who warned the woman who stood holding her miracle that day. This woman whom that had built a room, whom that he had, uh, he had resurrected that child and brought him back to life after he had died. Immediately upon that miracle, when that woman is holding that child that's been restored back to life, we, we take up reading in 2 Kings chapter 8. Verse number one, though spoke Eli- then spoke Elisha unto the woman whom son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, go thou in thy household and sojourn wheresoever thou canst, thou canst sojourn, for the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land for seven years. So famine was coming. So the woman arose and did After the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of Philistines for seven years. And it came to pass, after seven years in, when the famine was over, and the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, that she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. That the king talked to Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. And so it came to pass while Gehazi was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My Lord, O king, this is the woman who had her son restored back to life. And this is the boy that Elisha raised back to life. And at the end of that famine, the king asked the woman as she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer saying, Restore all. Restore all that was hers. All the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. At one point, she had a miracle. The miracle died. God restored the miracle, and she found herself walking through the next seven years of a famine. Have you ever lived on the roller coaster? Imagine not having a child, and that being your greatest desire, and you're sad from it. Get a promised child from God, and your world's all coming together. And then that promised baby dies, and your world collapses again. And then you run to the man of God. He comes, and he resurrects that child back to life. And you're back on the mountaintop. You've lived there before. Victories and defeats, famines, and then times of plenty. Paul said, I know how to abound and to abase. I know how to have something. And I know how to have nothing. And this woman has been through this roller coaster of her life with a child and a death and, and a resurrection. And now she is going through a famine. At the end of the famine, she has nothing. And she walks into the presence of the king. And that king says, give it all back. I'm here tonight to say God wants to give joy and peace and confidence in the Holy Ghost. If you've got a distrust for people, you've got a distrust for the ministry, if you've been hurt or wounded in some way, God wants to restore what you lost in that famine. If you're dealing with a season of brokenness, God wants to restore that back to you. It was a famine. 
that came to Bethlehem, Judah, that would cause Ruth and her husband, that would cause Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, to decide it's a dry season. It's a famine here. This place is called the house of bread. This is a place of provision. But there is no provision. We're in a famine. They looked and they saw in Moab that there appeared to be food in Moab. So Naomi and Elimelech, they moved their two sons to Moab. When they moved there, it seemed okay for a season. But we know, and you know, before long, two sons died. Naomi would come back. Naomi would bring Ruth back with her. Ruth would be elevated and given the place of being the wife of Boaz. But God used a famine to begin arranging the affairs of this young Moabitess woman because God knew I've got to somehow move Ruth from Moab and I've got to get her over here in Bethlehem because one of these days Ruth is going to be the grandmother of my servant King David but I can't she cannot be the grandmother of King David in Moab I've got to allow some things to transpire in her life so I can move her from Moab to where I need her to be I've got to get her to where she's walking in in Boaz's field I've got to get her to where Boaz notices her and she went there was famines and disasters and heartache and all of that had to take place so God can move Ruth from Moab because King David needed the best grandma in the history of the world today I picked up um, today I picked up uh, my lovely daughter from work And she had called earlier in the day and asked if I would bring her a Coke to work. That didn't work out too good for her. That didn't work out too good. But when when I I knew it was time to pick her up, I was running to to help her out. And she's stranded. And and, uh, I grabbed a Coke out of the fridge. And I put it in the car. And I, I I got there and picked her up and talking to her. And said, oh, by the way, look what the best daddy in the world just brought you. I get the award today, and now I'm getting it because I'm bragging on myself, so I am really getting the award today. All right, so, but, but King David needed to have the best grandma in the history of the universe. And for him, that was going to be a girl named Ruth. But God had to allow famines and heartache to sweep into the world of that family to move them into a place where he could literally pick Ruth out of a Moabite family, worshiping a Moabite God, uh, doing ancestor worship, doing baby sacrifices, had to pick her up out of that environment and put her over here where he could use her. It came out of a famine. And I'm telling you this tonight, and I feel like that maybe I'm, 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 about to, I'm about to land. But God will use that season. He will use that season. It was the great famine of Ireland that went from 1845 to 1849. Some would call it the great potato famine. But there was a potato blight that hit the island of Ireland, that country of Ireland. 
And for four successive years, the potatoes were basically non-existent. That was the main crop that, that they subsisted on. And when the beginning of that famine, the beginning of that famine, there were 8.5 million Irish living there in that countryside. And the results of that famine were this, that one million would die from starvation and, and typhoid blight that would come from, from the sickness that was causing the problems with the potatoes. The second thing that would happen would be one million of these people would, would immigrate over to the country of England. And they're still fighting about that. And then the, but the incredible thing that happened was in that season of five to ten years of that harvest, of that famine, and the, the first few years following that, two million Irish Immigrants left that country, got on ships, and came to America and found more in this country than they would have ever had in that country. And now we look at the incredibly Irish community that's in this country, and we realize, we realize this country wouldn't be nearly what it is if there hadn't been a famine that moved two million of those people in a 10-year span from their island home to this country. God uses famines. God restores. God restores. A few years ago, a few years ago, we walked into a restaurant here in town. My wife and I did. And things happen that unfold that are just absolutely astounding to me. We walked into this restaurant and there sat a young couple whom had attended our church for a while. Uh, his parents were, were ministers. And um, we walked into that. We walked into that restaurant. And there this couple sat. And I asked how his parents were doing. And um, they got this odd, horrible looking look in their face. And so... I knew something was wrong, and it wasn't but a second until they told me that, well, my pastor daddy has ran off and left my preacher's wife, mama, and he left on their 35th wedding anniversary, which is just the week or two before, and we have mom at the house. We have mom at the house, and we don't know what to do. I've known these people for a number of years. So, um, I came back here, and we had a prayer meeting. Brother and Sister Alba were still here, and we went over to the little house next door. I knocked on their door about 9 o'clock at night. I invaded their privacy and said, we're fixing to pray. And um, we proceeded to pray for that dear pastor's wife that was going through that horrible moment. And the best of, well, there is no best of times when that stuff happens. And, And... and many, many people have been through similar, but I don't think anybody can compare that mine's better or mine wasn't as bad or mine was worse than yours because it's just horrible when that stuff happens. It's just, it's just horrible. And that little lady had told me, she said, I've not slept more than an hour in this whole few weeks that this has been going on. So we prayed for her, and we got word back the next day that she hasn't woke up yet today. And literally, when she went to sleep that night, she slept for like 15 hours. And God gave her her rest back in an instant. 
in an instant. You remember her. Her name was Sister Slatter. And um, she was here in our church for a few years. During this course of the time, they lost their ministry. They would lose their home. Uh, they were, here they were in their mid-50s, and everything was gone. She's wound up living in an RV out here behind the church, and eventually she would lose that. She lost literally everything that she had. And she was so blessed, and she had inherited money, a nice piece of money, and her life had gotten so great. They were so blessed before this horrible blight came to their family. And then, then uh, she struggled with sickness. She struggled with stuff and lost everything. Literally, literally every three or four days, I would go back and take her $100, and that would be just for food or something, and, and, and just, just to help her. And, and, and our hearts were, were out to her. She lost it all. But then, but then after two or three years, a man lost his wife. He noticed her. And it um, wasn't long before there were sparks going on. Well, Sister Slatter remarried right here in the church. It's a really a neat moment, really a neat story. And, um, I mean, literally she lost vehicles. She lost her house. Uh, she lost everything. Didn't have, I don't even remember how she was driving, borrowed car or something. It was, it was just sad. And the first thing that that new husband did for her was buy her a brand new Cadillac. Then as soon as they got married, he bought her a brand new house. Then he said, fill it up how you want to fill it up. And over the next few months, she filled that house up. And then she had uh, things begin to happen in her world. And literally in less than a year's time from when this restoration started she had more of the stuff of life than she had before she lost it all and then when it was all restored to her when it was all restored to her you remember sister slatter had a sudden death and she was gone but god was faithful to her and the last three or four years of her life was sweeter and better than the previous 30 years of her life had been why? How? How did this work? Because God says, I will restore the years. And that season, those years contain some stuff. And he'll, he'll restore the stuff that was lost during those years. Are you here saying that if I had a Cadillac, he's going to give me a Cadillac back? That's not what I'm saying. But he will restore your peace. He will restore your joy. He will not leave you comfortless, but he will bring comfort and peace to you and restoration will come. And I've come tonight in this 40 minutes that I'm talking to you, I've come tonight to say God wants to use your famine. And let you feel the restoration and confidence that can only come from his wonder. His wonder. Would you stand with me tonight? I don't know exactly why or how, but I marvel at how God can take broken 
shattered stuff and make wonderful lives out of it. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand it. But this one thing I know, God, if you know the way that I take and I'm walking through a desert place or I'm going through a famine, there is no harvest. There is no abundance. There is no provision. My heart is hurting. There's confusion in my spirit. Lord, I have enough confidence and trust in you that I know you're not going to leave me here. And you're going to use this season of my life to make me better. Would you bow your heads with me, Jesus, right now? Lord, I have spoken tonight, Lord, from a heart that you have whispered to all day. And I'm believing, Lord, that you are talking to a heart in this room right now. And Master, I absolutely know that you're wanting to take a famine and turn it into something incredible. You want to restore some years. You want to restore some faith. And you want to restore some trust. Master, I am rebuking the spirits of distrust that can rob the joy out of people. But let trust, O oh God, be restored into the hearts and minds of every man and every woman in this place. Lord, we've got to have you. Would you pray with me, church? You're listening to me right now, but would you just invite him to come in and help you with this dry season? it's not you help someone else with this famine that they face and Lord I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you hear us I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you never fail us and I know Lord you gave us these examples in your word for us to seize on and hang on to because if you did it in the word of God you'll do it in my life and if you provided for one of those people in that time God I don't think it's just a fairy tale I don't think it's just a Bible story but I believe you gave me that to hold on to and cling to so my faith would have something tangible to look back and remember God use this famine Use this storm, oh God. Whatever it is, whomever's in it, whoever's dry and parched tonight, Lord, I pray the moving and the witness of the Holy Ghost. And I give you glory tonight, Lord. I give you glory tonight, Lord. I give you glory tonight, Lord. And I rejoice in you tonight, Lord, for I know that you're working. 
I know you're speaking and whispering to a heart even now, Lord. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, that the storm's going to stop. That if it's going to start raining, there's going, there, there's, there's going to be a witness of the Holy Ghost move and manifest itself in that heart, Lord. So I'm rejoicing in you and I'm thanking you, Lord. And so tonight, because of that, I want to end the last few seconds of this service with worship and thanksgiving from my heart, Jesus, because I rejoice that you hear me and I rejoice that you know me and I rejoice that you never fail us. And Lord, I worship you because I know that there's none like you and I know that you know where I'm at and you know the way that I take and you know what I face and you know what we deal with, oh God, and you've got this thing under control. And so I just rejoice and I thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Can you do that with me in the name of Jesus? In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's 32. I kept you two minutes over. Don't be mad at me. I'll let you go a few minutes early Sunday night. So I love you so much. And um, remember, God will use your famine. Jesus' name. Let's go. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank you for being here this morning. I want the will of the Lord to be done in this room today, in our hearts, in our lives. Amen. There's people that are hungry. I want to see new people come through those doors. I pray that you join me in prayer daily and ask that, that our altars be filled with new babies, that our baptistry splashes often with new people being baptized in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need something from the Lord, I pray that you feel that touch and that witness of the Holy Ghost this morning. Because I, I want you to know my title of my thought this morning is simply this. Healings happen here. Healings happen here. Amen. Lord Jesus, this morning I'm praying that your witness and your wonder would be in this house. And I thank you, Lord, for these beautiful, beautiful people. And we come this morning, Lord, with anxiousness and a hunger in our spirits that your will could be done in people's lives, that healings and helps could come into people's lives, that you would use this church, that you would use this body, that you would use this people, O Lord, and let your witness and your wonder, O God, be manifest. Let it be manifest, Lord, in every life, in every home, in every family, Master. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I'm reading this morning from John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. 
For an angel went down at a certain season into that pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease that he had. Would you turn around before you're seated and just tell someone what I told you a moment ago. Healings happen here. Amen. 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 You may be seated today. Uh, Bethesda, that timeless pool of water that was marked, marked by the miraculous. It was this pool. It was this place, this healing place that this pool was always remembered for the miracles that happened in and around it. The miraculous that happened there was understood that there were no healing powers in the water itself, nor, nor was there a divine edict of any type that would foretell or command that this spiritual phenomena would take place at Bethesda. But somewhere and somehow, this thing of the water being stirred at Bethesda began. People were touched. People began to understand that if they could themselves arrive there and get in that water in that moment, that indeed there would be the miraculous come their direction as well. But though there was no necessary healing power within the pool, but the healing came when the water was stirred. But one can question little that Bethesda was a point of the miraculous. Bethesda was a place where things happened. It was a, it was a place where the healing and the Spirit of the Lord would come and would, would visit. This pool of Bethesda was known because it had miracle properties within it, though there were no miracle properties within it. But it was known because the angels would come, the angels would stir, and healing would take place. And the Hebrew, Bethesda, means the house of mercy or the house of grace. And the last part of that word, Hesda, it means to remove shame or disgrace. Bethesda was a place that would wash and cleanse shame and disgrace from a family, from a person. Some say that this dual meaning of Bethesda was because the pool of Bethesda had five porches that surrounded it. And in these five porches would be where the people that would come, they would gather there. They could not go into the presence of the Lord because of their sickness and their afflictions, because of their imperfections. They would not be allowed to actually go into the temple. Therefore, those porches became a place for the sick, the invalid, the blind, the halt, and the lame. This place was 
a place where there might just be an opportunity for something incredible to happen in someone's life. This, this pool, these porches might just be a place where divine mercy and divine healing might just appear. I like to hope. I like to think. I often tell you as a pastor, I often declare that our church, that Conroe United Pentecostal Church is such a place. I like to, I like to think in my heart and mind because I've watched it happen so many times that indeed healings happen in this house. I like to think that prayers are answered in this body of people. I like to think that lives are changed and lives are put back together when we gather here in this place of healing. It's, it's my heart's desire that you and I often when we gather would see a healing, would see a miracle, would see a prayer answered in someone's life. It is one of my strongest desires together with God's people and see the wonder of His Spirit be manifest in the hearts and lives of people. I like to say it this way. I like this morning to grab a hold of that three-word phrase, simply this, healings happen here. It is well understood around the pool of Bethesda that no one can control, no one could control or induce or cause the waters to be stirred. Those pool waters being stirred were absolutely a divine manifestation. And this pool, which sat beside the sheep market, this pool that sat beside the sheep gate, This place that was situated so close to the power and the presence of God, but yet it was so close, but yet so far away. For inside the temple, wonderful things would happen. Inside that house of worship, there would be praise that would go up to Jehovah God. Inside that place, there would be moments when the visitation of the Lord would be there. This pool... This pool was so close, but yet it was so far away. The law law defined that these porches, that these these those that came to these porches could not be allowed to come into that holy, powerful presence of the Lord. So when they got to these porches, when they got to these porches that had been constructed, not by the commandment of the law or the commandment of God, but rather by the, by the desire of good men to somehow make those that would try to get as close to the house and presence of God as they could. They couldn't get in, but they got there. They couldn't get inside, but they were there, and these porches had been built for them. This was just about as close to a revival or a move of the Lord that they would see. Therefore, it was quite understood. It was understood very well that these folks not able to get inside, but they had great hope that maybe something that was inside may somehow spill outside, and maybe 
maybe while all of the wonderful things that were going on inside the church, maybe, just maybe, when that was happening inside, the angel of the Lord might step outside the house of mercy, step into one of those porches of healing and stir that water that was known as the place of of healing. Uh, These porches, uh, five of them in number, they were built uh, by men. They were built by good men, strong men, able men, fit and healthy men, men whom could afford time, talent, and even resources to help build those porches. Uh, These porches having been built to provide a place of receiving and accommodating the less fortunate, those that were imperfect, those those that were struggling with life, those that needed a miracle. Porches had been built around the pool of God, and they were apparently there shaded and quite comfortable. These porches were quite accommodating, quite accommodating to those people that were in need. There were at times even attendance provided, hired help, family or friends that were able to be there and to help to help assist and move someone toward the water just in case, just in case the water became stirred. There was clearly around these porches an organized effort to provide a place where people with a real need could come close and possibly possibly experience the miraculous in their life. Maybe maybe the porches could be much like the church today. Maybe the porches could be like even our own church, a place that has been put together and constructed and assembled and, 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 and brought together in such a way that people that might have a need might be able to come in, come into our porch, come into our church, sit there and be comfortable and enjoy the power and the presence of the Lord and keeping and hoping that the same desire for the miraculous that would happen at Bethesda might also just happen in this church, in this city, in this time and on this day. It might just be that you're and I, you're in my greatest contribution to the things of God. May not be to have prayed the greatest prayer. Might not be to have sung the most wonderful song in the history of all time. You might never have written a song. You may never have taught a class. You may never have preached a sermon or spoken a word or prayed a public prayer. But indeed, it might just 
be that mine, your gift, greatest gift to this community might just be the fact that we have a porch. We have a place here where people can gather and feel safe knowing at some point in the future there will be a stirring of the water and there will be a moving of the spirit and I can stay here in this comfortable place until that water is stirred until that moment for my miracle comes to pass it might be it might be your and my greatest gift might be simply a porch that'll leave someone that's broken, that's hot, that's halt, that's lame, that's blind, that's overwhelmed with life, a place to comfortably come in and to worship and believe God that indeed their miracle is coming. I'm glad we've got a place to worship. We know prayers are answered in this place. I look at some of you and I realize you came on to this porch you came into this house you were broken your world was upside down but there was a moving and a stirring in the realm of the Holy Ghost and one day maybe one night the spirit of the Lord stirred the atmosphere and in that moment of a spiritual stirring you felt the uplift of the Holy Ghost you felt the witness of his glory And you experienced joy unspeakable and full of glory. You experienced the encouraging, transforming, hope-giving power of the presence of the Lord. Do you remember the first time that you felt the Holy Ghost? Do you remember the first time that you were brave enough to lift your hands? Do you remember when he came and he filled you and he forgave you? and he washed you and he cleansed you that is the purpose of the church that is the purpose of that porch we want somebody else to be able to feel the same thing to have the same miracle to feel the same wonder that you felt that day can you give God some praise when you think about his goodness Amen, amen, amen. Do you understand today that only God could trouble the pool? Only the Lord can do the miraculous. If you come and ask for me to pray for you, I may follow the instructions of the scripture. I may anoint you with oil. I may pray the prayer of faith. I will probably pronounce the name of Jesus over you and ask for healing to come and ask for the miracle to come into your life. But you must understand that if if it's If it's my hands that are upon you, it was not my hands that healed you. You must understand that if it was my voice that prayed over you, it was not my voice that healed you. Because only God can stir the pool. And only God can heal the sick. And only the Lord can work the miraculous. You see the moving of the water. 
and the miraculous. That's his domain. That's the place that he operates in. And I don't ever want to live in a place where there's not the opportunity for water to be stirred and miracles to happen. I never want to live in an environment. I don't want to go to a place knowing that nothing's going to happen today. Every time that we gather, there's got to be that anticipation. There's got to be that uh, that excitement. There's got to be the realm of the possibility that today might just be the day that the, the pool is stirred. It might just be the day he chooses to touch somebody. It might just be the moment that his timing all comes in alignment. This morning, I want to pause and thank God for every prayer that he's answered. I want to pause and thank him for his miraculous mercy. I want to pause and say, Lord, you did it. And I thank you for hearing my prayers. Hallelujah. 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 These, these porches were built by men so hurting people could get close uh, to the miraculous. Uh, they, they were built so that, that uh, they could get close. They could arrive at a place of safety and of comfort. A place of peace uh, where just, just, just maybe the angel might stir the water. I am thanking the Lord this morning from the depth of my spirit uh, that I have that faith and confidence uh, that something incredible might just happen in this place uh, before we leave here today. We often look at the church. We refer to the church as a hospital or a mercy station, a place where things, good things happen. It's, it's a house of mercy. It's a place of healing. It is that Bethesda, that house of mercy, that house of healing. It's an atmosphere there where mercy and grace and hope and miraculous all come together in a single moment. That's the reason I often declare that this church. This place, this place is a Bethesda. This place is a a place, this church, this porch, this place where we assemble. You don't have to be perfect to come into this place. You don't have to be, you don't have to be just the upper echelon of society to come into this place. But you can come into this place addicted to this world. You can come to this place dependent upon on things that were not intended for you to be dependent upon. You can come into this place with darkness and confusion and be welcome in this place. This place is a place where your prayers might just be answered today. This place, this porch is a place where the Almighty wants to come face to face with you and allow you to feel the witness and the glory of this greatness. I like to say it this way. I've said it often. I repeat myself when I say it. 
it. Uh, some will roll their eyes when I say it. Others will say, I've heard that a thousand times. But let me simply remind you today that the church, uh, this place, uh, is a place uh, where nobody gets to keep their past, uh, but everybody gets a chance uh, at a brand, uh, a brand new future. You might say this is just uh, a building. This is just uh, a brick and mortar facility. But I say, oh, not so. This is a place, uh, in this place, uh, healings happen here. It is in this place that some of us uh, have felt uh, such glory and such wonder. You see, it's not just the building, but to those of us uh, who've had our prayers answered when we gathered here, to those of us uh, who received the gift uh, of the Holy Ghost around here, or those of us uh, who might have been baptized in that baptistry here. This is not just uh, a church. This is not just uh, a physical building for this is the place where we found hope and this is the place where we found healing and this is the place where peace and acceptance came into our world this is the place where things were brought back together this isn't brick and mortar this is our refuge this is our sanctuary this is our Bethesda this is our healing place this is the place that we want to share with you and if you're broken today let me share my church with you let me share my Jesus with you come sit on this porch with me let the angel stir the water and I believe you're going to receive a touch just like we have in the past if you're a member of this church you should love this place you should honor this place you should you should hold this place in high regard in high esteem you should realize that this is a place that you should rejoice about because of the things that have happened to you here it ought to mean something to you you ought to be able to teach your kids to love the house of God let your family know that nothing nothing is more important than the house of God and the things that happen at my church. Amen. Amen. Just uh, last night, I was able to have a conversation with Kayla and L.A. Salinas, uh, and I, we were talking about that little three-year-old, four-year-old person that lives in their house. And I was remembering just a a year or two back when that little guy was really struggling, learning how, getting ready to turn two. And being a two-year-old was the most stressful thing that his young life had ever experienced. It was, it was, it was, it was little Jack said that he would wait till he got to church till he would act up. I don't know whom he acted like. He might've acted like his grandfather. Father, he might have acted. Uh, he might have acted like his daddy. Uh, it might have even been acting like his grandmother. I don't know who he acted like, but when little Jacks got here, he never entered quiet. Uh, he never entered slow. He entered at a thousand miles an hour. And right behind him was his mama chasing him. And and when she would catch him, he did not appreciate being incarcerated. He didn't appreciate uh, being held, and so he would 
express his appreciation in a very verbose manner. He would scream. He would holler. He would distract. We could be having a wonderful time of prayer. But when Jax got here, Jax changed the atmosphere. He was a little cannonball bouncing off of this wall and of that. If you've ever been on a hand ra- on a, on a handball court or a racquetball court, you understand there's four walls. And the idea is to let that ball hit all the walls without ever hitting the floor. And so, and so that was little Jax. He could bounce off all eight walls that were in this building and never touch the floor. And his mama chasing him and his daddy would just be back there grinning like he is right now. And so I told them last night, uh, I really worried for Jax. Uh, I, I was, I was, I worried about that little guy because uh, I was afraid that his mother was going to dispatch him to his heavenly reward before he ever got a chance uh, to even grow up. Uh, it was serious. Uh, it was, it was emotional. It was, uh, well, y'all remember what Jax was like. He may get loose. Uh, and when I was teasing him about this, uh, uh, that little mama, Kayla, she looked and says, well, I guarantee you one thing, uh, my little boy now, he won't get on that stage without getting my permission, and he won't run in that church without getting my permission, and she had a whole list of things that that little guy won't do anymore. It was important to that mother that she teach that boy how he ought to behave in the house of God. It was important to her that she teach him that you respect the things of God. You respect the house of God. And I'm glad, I'm glad that, that, that she, that she cared so much in this place. It is a place where we ought to be able to teach our kids. This is a holy place. This is a sanctuary. This is a place that we respect. This is a place that we revere. This is a place that we ought to hold holy. We ought to be able to let our kids know and show them how important the place is but more so than the physical place our kids need to know that we might respect the building but more than the physical place we revere we respect what happens in the realm of the spirit we respect the fact that this indeed must be a house of prayer and indeed this must be a house where glory comes indeed this is a house where lives are transformed And we want our kids to know there's nothing more important than the house of God, the things of God, the spirit of God, and the greatness of God. You ought to be able to testify that God's been good to you. And your kids ought to know it happened at church. It happened at church. It happened at church. It happened at church because the great God of heaven came down and touched a hurting person on the porch of this church and change their life. I rejoice in what happened in the house of God. But never forget we build the porch we don't build the pool. 
It's up to God to do the miraculous. It's up to God to do the healing. It's up, God, it's up to God to answer the prayers. It's up to me to make sure I'm there at that place. It's up to me to make sure that the place is clean. It's up for me to make sure that my part uh, of the responsibilities of this place uh, are active and being taken care of. It's, it's my place. Uh, uh, and whatever responsibility I or you have accepted, it's our responsibility to make sure, to make sure that this place is ready for a move of the Holy Ghost. If you are one that's tasked with helping to clean the church, let me tell you, you're not just a janitor. You don't serve on a janitor staff or a church cleaning team. But what you're doing there, what should be happening inside of you when you are performing that most mundane of tasks, there ought to be a spirit of prayer and of anticipation on you. Not because I'm cleaning that church again, but I'm helping clean this place. I'm helping this place be neat because right here, I believe somebody is going to sit in the next few days. In a few days, I want to make sure the altar area is clean and vacuumed. I want to make sure there's no dust because this is a holy place and somebody's going to sit on this porch that's blind, that's broken, that is filled with heartache. And I'm believing when I've got my part of this place ready they're going to sit there they're not going to be distracted by anything and the water's going to stir and I'm going to do my part of the move of God and I know he's going to do his part and he's going to show up we must never forget that we work on the porch but he works on the pool and while we should appreciate those things we've just got to understand the most important thing that we do is that we invoke, we bring, we invite the miraculous into this place. You and I must never forget that the house is built around the pool, not the pool, not not the pool built around the house. There is uh, those porches, they were around that pool. They were focused, they were looking inward because what was going to go on in the pool was more important than what went open on what was going on on any of those porches what goes on in the pool is more important than the song we sing it's more important than the instruments we play what goes on in the pool is more important than the class we teach it's more important that the door we open we've got to understand that when we gather we're going to be focused and at some point the water is going to stir the spirit's going to stir and there's going to be a breakout in the Holy Ghost. This porches, this church is not about us. It's about Him. These pews are not about us. They are about Him. And we must remember the porches are there for the pool. We must never forget that the porch is for the pool. The pool is not for the porch. The Old Testament church, when the commandment came to build a tabernacle and Moses had those people begin to build and it was all complete and they would 
be ready to move. They, you would find that when they would move, the entire camp of Israel, which was encamped round about the house of God, in a circular fashion, all 12 tribes sat around, they slept around, they lived around the house of God. But when it came time to move, they would dismantle that thing. The cloud would appear, and the men would follow after that cloud, and the people would follow after the house of God. You must realize uh, that more important than the blessings in your life is the relationship uh, with Jesus Christ uh, in your life. Uh, The New Testament uh, would begin with the miraculous uh, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost uh, would fall down. They didn't have churches like we have today. They didn't understand and know maybe like we have today. In the early church in the 1900s when when they would have church it might be under a brush arbor, might be under a tent, it might be under a tree, someone's home. But there were places they would gather. They didn't have the nice things that we enjoy today. They didn't enjoy the air condition, the carpet, the padded pews, uh, uh, all the sound equipment, uh, screens, lights, electric instruments. Uh, they didn't have all of that. But one thing they had learned to have, and that is they had learned we can gather on the porch, whether it's a brush harbor whether it's under a tent or even if it's in a cathedral like we see built today. If we can just get close to the pool, we know that the water is going to stir and the presence of God is going to be manifest and something incredible is going to be able to take place. And so we we do that today. We enjoy a comfortable atmosphere. We enjoy environments that are not offensive. We enjoy water fountains that are cold running water for restrooms. We enjoy so many things in past generations they didn't enjoy. But one thing hasn't changed. They sought the presence of God and we seek the presence of God. They hungered for righteousness. We hunger for righteousness. They asked for the glory of God and we're asking for the glory of God. They wanted the water to be stirred and we want the water to be stirred. Because when we gather together Just a few of us, one, two, or three is enough to get the attention of God. And he wants to respond and let his glory, let his wonder come be manifest in our lives and our presence. You see, mercy loves to walk on the porches of the church. So many times, so many times... We've come looking for mercy. We've come looking for help. When all reality, long before we came looking for mercy, looking for help, mercy came looking for us. I went and found the lyrics that was written to a song, Mercy Came Running, like a prisoner set free, past all my failures to my point of need, when the sin that I carried was all that I could see, and when I could not reach mercy, when I couldn't get to mercy, when I was broken down on a porch and couldn't get inside the house of God where the mercy was, when I could not reach mercy, then mercy came 
came running to me. Some of you knew what it was like to not be able to get there. And mercy came running your direction. The greatness of God came running your direction. Mercy come climbing over the balcony of your world. And he climbed up on your porch and looked for you so he could touch you. So he could transform you. So he could lift you. And that's what it's all about. And that is, that's what is supposed to happen. Because healings happen here. It is in John chapter 5 that we could continue reading from earlier. That a certain man was there at that pool that day who had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been there now a long time. In that case, he said unto him, would you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I'm coming, another step is down before me. And so Jesus simply said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. He took up his bed and walked. And on the same day, it was the Sabbath. It was on this day in John, the fifth chapter, that mercy came walking onto the porch at the house of mercy. It was on this day that, that not just the presence of God, but the very physical human form of God chose to step out of the temple of God onto one of those porches at the house of mercy. And while that man was struggling with the things that he did not have, it was mercy that came walking up onto that porch that day. It was mercy that visited the house of mercy that day. It was wonder that came to the house of healing. And it was a thing called mercy that walked right there among those who carried the shame. They were outcasts not able to come to the house of God but mercy that day walked to them. Those uh, on those porches, uh, they just wished uh, they could get into the temple so they could worship and feel the greatness of that God but unbeknownst to them that day, the power and the presence uh, of the Almighty the literal physical form of a God that is perfect and rich in grace and mercy came out of that temple and stepped upon their porch and suddenly the purpose of the porch was discovered because when mercy climbed on that porch the whole the whole spiritual realm came to attention and mercy walked through that crowd of people and he the purpose of his visit was lying there flat of his back the Lord walks up to that man who's laid there all of these years and said sir would you be made whole and then the man says oh I would like to but I have no man I have no help but mercy wanted him to know this just changed let me simply pause today now with maybe just a pastoral moment and suggest if mercy ever came to your porch if mercy ever came to your life if it ever came and lifted you and transformed you and changed you and lifted you up then I say you do everything in your power to not let this thing happen again for that man to lay there so long and not have somebody help him get to the water I've got mercy so I want to share and show mercy you've got a miracle you ought to be able to say I want to help you get the same thing I'll stay around I'll help you we'll get to that water we'll see something incredible happen and that man says I have no help I have no 
hope. And the Lord says, just responding in such a way, well, that's just change, sir. I want you to rise up. I want you to take up your bed. And I want you to walk. And we rejoice now knowing that man rose up. He rolled up his bedroll. And he started walking out of there. That's something to rejoice about. But this morning, my attention would focus on those five porches. Maybe for the next six or seven minutes. And I will be done. There were five porches that had been built around that pool. There were five things that had been listed of the describing the people that laid on those porches around that pool. It says there were impotent folk. There were blind folk. There were folk that were halt. There were withered folk and folk that were simply waiting. I've come to maybe suggest, take the risk of maybe, 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 Maybe suggesting that in the five categories of people that were listed there and the five porches uh, that were gathered around that pool, maybe, just maybe, the impotent had a porch, uh, the blind had a porch, uh, the halt had a porch, uh, the withered had a porch, uh, and the waiting had a porch. Uh, And when I stop and say uh, there was a porch uh, that had been built for the impotent folk, uh, the folk uh, that were powerless, uh, the folk who could not help themselves the folk that were overwhelmed with life they didn't know what to do they were powerless they were without strength to help themselves but the Lord made sure there were people that made a porch for them to be there just in case it was their moment for the miraculous to come their way it says there were blind folk around that porch blind folk people who had lost lost their way. They couldn't see where they were going. They lost their vision. They were wondering. There was a porch built around the house of God for the lost. The folks who could no longer see. The folks who were wandering around. The folks who had no vision. The folks who lost their dreams. The folks that didn't know which way to go. There was a porch for the blind folk. There was a porch that had been constructed there. And maybe we'll just delegate that one to the folks uh, that were halt. Uh, they were folks uh, that were maybe crippled in their feet. Uh, they stumbled. Uh, they were not be able to consistently walk. Uh, they, they, had, they had frequent failures. Uh, the halt were people who stumbled through life, uh, had no stability, had no consistency, always dealing with their failures. Uh, there was a porch uh, that had been built for people that had frequent failure miles in their life. Uh, there was a porch uh, that had been built for people who had no stability in their life, for people who did not know how to be consistent on any level, for people who stumbled through life not knowing how to get through the day. There was a porch that had been built for them. There was a porch, I would say this, there were withered folk that was there. There was folks that, 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 that is a porch that had been built for the withered, the folks that were withdrawn, the folks that had shame in their life. The folks uh, that were unable to function. The folks uh, that were unable to even emotionally connect with people. They were withered. They were withdrawn. They were ashamed. They were unable unable to provide. I'm saying here today, there was a porch uh, for the 
withered. There was a porch for the withdrawn. There was a porch for those who lived under the clouds of shame. There was a porch that had been built for those that were unable to function in life. Their life had withered. They had lost their beauty. They had lost their joy. They lost their purpose of living. But there was a porch there and the stirring of the water was bound to come. And so there was a porch that had been built for people who stumbled through life, had shame, had problems. Their life had withered away. And I say in the fifth porch, surely because there was impotent folk, blind folk, halt folk, withered folk, and then just folk that were waiting. They were folk that were waiting. I don't like to wait. I want to pray and get my answer as soon as I walk out the door. I am addicted to the service of to the to the speed of a service industry society. I want to roll up. I want to get my order. I don't want to have it to wait very long, and I want it there so I can keep moving in life. Have you ever seen anything that is more service oriented than maybe Amazon, the company? I passed by a Sears store this week that had been taken over by Amazon and I didn't even try to count the delivery vans were out there but I'm safe in saying at least a thousand little small delivery high top vans like we have were there and you order from those people then you'll if, if it's on prime you order it today it'll be at your house tomorrow who would have ever thought that the Sears and Roebuck mail order catalogs would evolve with time to be something that would be so quick and something so incredible. And that has me spoiled. That has a society spoiled. We don't want to wait. But there's people that have been waiting for a long time for their prayers to be answered. There's people that's been waiting for a long time for their situation to fix. They've been waiting for their healing, waiting for their hope, and waiting for their children to come back, and waiting for things to be put back together to them. But they're around that porch. They're around that pool. There were five porches. And the impotent had one. The blind had one. The halt and withered had one. But those folks who've just been waiting. Your prayers haven't been answered. But you're still showing up. And you're still praying. Your prayers haven't come to pass. But you're still giving your tithe. And you're still working around the church. There was a porch that was built for the so today, if the powerless is here, you've got a porch. If you can't find your own way, if you're blind, if you're lost, if you don't have vision, if you've lost your dream, we've got a porch for you today. If you're stumbling through life and your life is halt, you're struggling with what step to take next, what to do tomorrow, you don't know what it is to be consistent, you're tired of accruing more frequent failure miles, hear me me today uh, that there is a porch uh, and there's a stirring of the water that wants to happen for you today if your life has gotten withdrawn and withered if you walk with shame and brokenness you're unable to work you're unable to to produce you're unable to find joy in your life there's a porch for you today if you've just been waiting for a long time let me simply say it this way healing happens 
here. Miracles take place here. Prayers are answered here. And if you can have enough faith to connect with me this morning and say, Pastor, I'm just going to be bold enough to believe. I might still be waiting. I might still be stumbling. I still might not can see. I might still be ashamed and withered. But I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to take that same step of faith with you. And I'm going to take a chance and say, okay, God, I'm going to get on that porch. I'm going to make my way up there. And I just believe, like the man of God said, that when I get there, that you might just show up. And you might just decide, at this moment, I'm going to stir that water. At this moment, I'm going to answer that prayer. At this moment, I'm going to provide that miracle. For healings happen in this house. And so I stand boldly to rebuke any doubts, to rebuke any unbelief, to rebuke any thoughts or feelings that would say, Oh, brother, not again. Let me say boldly, healings, this is a place of healing. This is a place of hope. This is a place of transformation. And healings happen here. Can you stand and clap your hands to the Lord? Can you stand and lift your voice to the Lord and thank Him? Thank Him for the healings that can happen here. Would you join me around the front this morning? If you're a guest here this morning, feel free to join us. We won't embarrass you in any way. Just come. Doesn't matter which side you're on. Just come, just come straight forward. Healings happen here. There's people here this morning that when you started walking into this place, you were broken. You were messed up. You couldn't hardly face society. There was shame in some of you and embarrassment. But healing happened. And when the healing started, it didn't stop with your immediate needs. And some of you have stayed around a few years now. And you've watched the healing happen in your emotions as a new convert. You've watched healing happen in your families as they grew up. You've watched healing happen in your finances as you got stable. You've watched healing happen. And the last thing that I ever want to do is give up my hope that healings can still happen in this place. This pastor refuses to leave without the option of the miraculous on the table every day. Healings happen here. And because we're humans, none of us have reached the state of perfection. There are healings that are needed around the front of this church this morning. There are healings. I know there's physical healings. There's surely emotional healings, relationship healings. Surely financial healing of some sort. Surely. But that's what happens here. Is healings take place here.
And we're gathered around that pool this morning. And in unison, and in unison, we're going to lift up our voices to him. And we're going to invite him to stir the waters of this pool. And let healing be around the front of this church. Let healing be on one of these porches this morning. Oh, Jesus. Can you do that with me, Jesus? Let healing be on this porch. Stir this water, God. Stir this pool, God. And let healing flow out of this tabernacle. Let healing flow to the broken, the healing flow to the confused, the healing flow to the blind. Let healing come, O oh Lord, to the overwhelmed. Let healing come to, the, to those that, Lord, that have lost their sight, lost their vision. Let healing come to the one that's stumbling through life even now. Because, Lord, you told us, you've reassured us, God, that healings can happen here. Hallelujah. With your voices lifted. Will your voice is lifted. Can you thank him? Can you thank him, Jesus? We know, we know, Lord, you're working. We know, Lord, that you're touching. We know, Lord, your hand is with us. And we thank you, Lord. We know, Lord, that, that there's going to be something incredible happen very soon. We're going to keep believing. We're going to keep having faith. And that water is going to be stirred. That water is going to be stirred. And the miraculous is going to take place, O oh Lord. Because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a healer. And you are a miracle worker. And you are mercy personified. And you want to walk onto our porch. You are healing personified. And you want to walk on our porch. You are peace in person, O oh God. And you want to walk on our porch. And so, Lord, we welcome you into this house. We welcome you to this tabernacle, oh God. Have your way with us, Lord. 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 Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If somebody's close by, reach by. Lay your hand on their shoulder and say, Lord, let healing happen in them. Let healing happen for them. Let healing happen in this place, O oh Lord. In the name, in the name, in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, we know healing happens. We know healing happens here, so we say, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We give you all the glory, Lord. We give you all the praise, Jesus. We magnify you, Master. We rejoice. We rejoice, Lord, knowing that you hear us. And healings happen here, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, Lord, I thank you, every family, every person that stands on these porches today. And we gather, Lord, on these porches around this pool, knowing that you indeed are going to stir the water and answers are coming. And we thank you for that. We honor you today, Lord. And Master, we simply, we simply want you to know that we can hardly wait. We can hardly wait, God, for that water to stir and our answer to come. And so it's with anticipation and faith we say, do it, Lord. Stir it, Lord. Move in this place, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name, in the name, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 As you leave today, tell a couple of people, healings happen here. And you walk out of here with faith. And when we gather back, you come with faith. Because we're going back to the porch. We're going to stand around that pool. And God's going to come meet with us. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for being here. I love you. You mean much to us. We'll see you back tonight, 630. Come early for prayer. We'll have prayer and then we'll have worship and the word. Let's go in Jesus' name.